0: The Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab, episode number 636. Another palindromic episode for Sunday, December 18th, 2016. (laughs) Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek the show where you send in your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share it, we answer it, we do all kinds of things. And the goal is, in our hour and maybe 15 minutes that we get together each week, to learn at least four new things each. That includes me, that includes you, all of us each. Four new things. Sponsors for this episode include... Otherworldcomputing computing at maxsales.com. We'll talk more about their Thunderbolt 3 slash USB C doc in a minute. Barebones software at barebones.com, makers of BB Edit. Fantastic software. It doesn't suck. And Eero at Eero.com, where between now and uh, and I think the day before Christmas. So between December 18th and December 24th, you get a hundred bucks off of a three-pack. So it's back to that uh, that Black Friday pricing at Eero.com and at coupon code MGG saves you the cost of overnight shipping, which is pretty cool. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. That's what you think, John F. Braun.
1: <coughs> yes, it
0: is. <laughs> it's all relative. It's all cold, man. That I know for sure. hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's freezing out there. Like literally. It was negative four this morning when uh below freezing. Way below freezing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Craziness. Negative four. And we're supposed to get uh, like a like a not insignificant but not crazy amount of snow tomorrow night, too. I think you're I think you're getting some tomorrow, is that right? Was that the plan? Well, I'm ready, uh, and, man. I sh- and I, I need to say because I, I, I know we said that this show is, is uh for Sunday the eighteenth and that's when it'll come out, but we actually recording all these shows uh, for the next three weeks, we're recording a little bit in advance. So that's why, uh, that's, that's why maybe the weather doesn't make sense. Let's stop talking about the weather. John, let's start talking about Hunter. Why don't you take us there? Hunter
1: writes, hello, geniuses. No, we're not geniuses. Maybe super geniuses, (laughs) (laughs) evil geniuses.
0: No, that's Dave. Ah, Yeah. All
1: right. Super geniuses, Wiley Cody. Um, I write to you because I don't know where else to turn. I have a strange issue with Safari. I cannot quit. If I try to quit Safari, it locks up and requires a force quit. This is a constant trouble, not intermittent, meaning if I or the system when I'm sleeping need to install updates and reboot, I have to force quit Safari. This is only a minor annoyance for me most of the time, but it irritated me every time I performed the force quit action, as it should and we got a list of specs here. I don't think none of this is, is now the Well, MacBook pro running latest Sierra. Sure. six gig, 16 gigs of Ram. So plenty, uh, 2013 machine, plenty of speed. Um, listing. All right. Then the, a list of the, uh, Safari extensions, one password, auto page rise, Instapaper, iBlocker menu and iBlocker. Um, of course you probably already tried is disabling those. Um, but it's good that you know that that's one place to look if your browser misbehaves. yeah. your extensions or plugins or whatever you want to call them. Um, and the steps that were taken was doing a hard drive repair. Okay, reasonable. Could be corrupt sure. uh, corrupt disk or data structure on the disk. Boot into safe mode. That didn't seem to fix it. Onyx, okay. Better, better. <laughs> but still, no fix. Uh, well, tried repairing permissions, rebuilding launch services, um, maybe, and then automation. I'm not sure what that means.
0: Well, there's the automation tab in Onyx, and he says he's done all the defaults oh, there. Oh. So that's like that's every that's kind of not everything, but it's it's the sort of blanket thing. So,
1: no. mm-hmm. all right. So that was a, a good try, um, but none of those fixed the problem. Yep. Here are some suggestions. So there's another place in Onyx you may want to look, and that's Onyx, cleaning, and then there's an internet category, and there's a whole bunch of items there. You can choose them all if you wish or not. Um, Another thing would be uh, to to kind of reset Safari and put it in a a better state is right from the Safari menu. There's a choice, clear history. That clears out a lot of the data that uh, Safari collects on your behalf to spy on you and (laughs) <laughs> or let others spy on you as it turns out choice number one is the winner oh is that right nice yeah got a reply saying i didn't even have to do step two because step one so onyx can often solve these sorts of problems but there's so many places in onyx that i just know from past experience it was one place that uh upset browsers may uh well the that's interesting. Uh, it, it, it was one of the, ca- you know, there's a DNS it, cache. And a misca- yeah, right. Right. I mean, there's one cache and actually that was another thing. Uh, now that I think about it is sometimes, uh, what is it? It's an MDNS responder. There's an article on it. We'll, yep. we'll link to it. But, uh, uh sometimes the DNS, ca- DNS cache, uh, which I believe that that Onyx selection will clear out, but the, uh, DNS cache, um, like all caches, if they get corrupt, they will cause problems. And especially, uh, DNS, you know, if your browser's trying to look something up in the DNS cache is, is wacky. Uh, you're not going to get to where you want to go. Right. So right. that's a third one we can put in there. So, cause yeah, quitting, forcing quit is, is you don't want to do that. That's wrong. Well, yeah. it, right. It, it, you may have to do it, but right. it, 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 you want to find the source of that problem. Same thing, force shutting down your machine. You shouldn't ever have to do it. And if you keep doing it, you may make matters worse. Right. So. Yeah,
0: for sure. Cool. All right. Uh, all right, I'm I'm going to I'm going to loop us back around to Safari here, John, in a in kind of an interesting way. Mike writes, he says my MacBook Air, he was talking about our um our discussion on the amount of RAM needed to to make a, a machine run Sierra well, and he says my MacBook Air late 2012 with 4 gigs of RAM and a 120 gig SSD works fine with Sierra. He says I use standard Mac apps, no audio or video editing. I almost always have at least seven apps open opening documents and pages or numbers, which I don't use often is not a problem. However, I occasionally get the colorful spinning wheel when visiting some websites. could be too many Safari windows or the slowness of my DSL connection or a combination of the two. So that's that's a good data point that you're not experiencing any issues with a a four gig machine. My 2011 air has four gigs and i but i and i definitely run into ram starved and cpu starved scenarios uh but i'm i i also keep an eye on that stuff so maybe it's part you know that i know that i'm in that 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 scenario and then i experience it but i also notice safari lagging like crazy and it's gotten worse and so i did some digging opening activity monitor a lot of times i see Processes relating to contacts, contact syncing, not just the contacts app. The contacts app could be closed, but still things getting really slow. And uh, and I noticed it when filling out forms in Safari the other day. It was just like painfully slow. So I went into Safari preferences autofill and unchecked the box that says use using info from my contacts. It made all the difference in the world. Now, I don't know. I mean, I just did a clean install of, of Sierra on this machine. So I, I suppose it's possible that I've got a cash issue there, but I think it's just that I have a lot of contacts and whatever that, um, that process is that goes through and, and, uh, you know, sort of indexes those for, for lack of a better term, that may be the thing that, uh, that was slowing down Safari a lot for me. So I've, uh, I've disabled that and it made a huge difference. So there's a little tip for you for the day. Yeah. Yeah. And in the, in the chat room at Mac, uh, slash stream, uh, listener, John writes that, uh, it could be corrupt contacts in there too. And that makes sense. It could be a corrupt contact. So I don't know how I'd go about finding those. I guess, uh, I guess exporting them all out and bringing them all back in would be one way to do it. Uh, but, but I sort of did that because these contacts weren't, um, they weren't imported from a previous build. They were synced down from iCloud, but, uh, but it's possible. I've got some, you know, maybe corruption's the wrong term, but, but something in there that's, that's causing OS 10 to spin. So I'll check it out. But there's my tip for you. If you're having problems in, in uh, safari especially with forms safari preferences autofill and uncheck that using info from my contacts box so there you go good yeah john yeah
1: i never uh never got into the uh, autofill thing all right for good reason i guess
0: uh yeah sure uh listener james writes he says uh the reason i'm sending something in today is because i've started a new job and i have the opportunity to use my 12 inch MacBook as my work machine. This is the first time I've gone to a non-remote job and they're considering letting me use a personal device. BYOD is alive and well. Uh, Let's bring your own device. So the question I have is, what would you recommend as a starting point? Obviously I think I should create a separate user account for work stuff as I'm dealing with a lot of confidential client information and business data. I'm already using FileVault on the system for my own account. Uh, We currently use an exchange server for mail, but are moving over to Google Apps or G Suite, it's called, in uh, the coming months. Any advice or tips would be greatly appreciated. I'm hoping to introduce one password to the company, too, as the password practices there make me cringe, especially given how confidential and sensitive the data that we work with will be. Uh, Yeah. Okay. so um, this is a good good opportunity for discussion i like the idea of a separate user account and uh and a secure one password database makes a lot of sense uh i'm not sure we can use g suite and confidential uh in the same sentence but that's your employer's decision not yours uh, I, I mean you know google there's lots of lots of prying machine eyes there at google i guess is, is all that is um i actually love g suite we use quite we use it quite a bit here Uh, Your backup strategy is the first one that comes to mind, specifically whether or not you're allowed to have a copy of any of that data off site, because if you're doing a time machine backup at home, then that sort of by definition, unless you do a lot of exclusions, is going to be backing up some of your work data. Now, if they're allowing G Suite to store your email and, and other you know online documents. My guess is they're probably okay with you having a backup at home, but maybe not. Uh, if you are going to keep a backup at home, though, I would encrypt that Time Machine drive and uh, and any other drives. Like if you're cloning to something, make sure that that drive has File Vault enabled on it as well, so that uh, so that you're protected across the board. Enabling File Vault. By the way, you said you had File Vault enabled in your user account. That is a system-wide setting. It, it's whole disk encryption because it's FileVault 2 now. Um, FileVault was just single-user encryption, but now FileVault 2 is is whole disk, and that's the only one you can use. So I'm sure that's what you have enabled. Any thoughts on this, John?
1: Yeah, I think it, you, you touched on it. The, the concern whenever you're using it, you have to somehow separate your data from their data. Right. Um, and like you said, you know, part of it should be, you know, I don't know what, what are there, I'm sure there are processes and all that stuff in place, or maybe not. Maybe it's a, a small company and they don't have like a you know, sure full, full-blown full IT group. Because, I mean, some things I've seen. So one is that, okay, uh, all the stuff that you work on stays on our servers and never leaves them. Mm. You know, that, that that could be one approach. So you don't have to worry. So it's not even, yeah, you're never taking the data with you, right? Right. You may want to think, especially if you're dealing with confidential data. Um, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the concern with a lot of uh, BYOD implementations that I've seen is that you don't want to start mixing your. You may not want to mix your work and your personal stuff, whether it be calendars or email and stuff like that. It. Uh, right. I don't know, but the, the, what. What I'd like to, what I think anybody wants to avoid, is somebody somehow getting your machine and then getting all of that private data. So one way to avoid that, of course, is just have it stored on a. On a NAS, on their network, and they let you, uh, you know, come in remotely. So the data is never on your machine. So they don't have to worry. Even if you your machine is stolen, it, it doesn't matter because there's no confidential stuff on there. Another, another option. It's kind of inconvenient. So you may want to work on it locally. And, yeah, at the very least, I mean, set up another account. You know, separate yeah your work account from your personal stuff. So a, that's another creating option another. option,
0: if they don't have, a you know, a, a any type of server at the office, is to just get an external drive that only stays at the mm-hmm. at the, at you know at wherever the job site is and then you just unplug from that and now that data is there you do want to make sure that drive is backed up though and so that you know kind of opens up this whole can of worms again yeah
1: yeah cuz i've seen some implementations i mean they actually have <coughs> some implementations where they will actually for security's sake prohibit you from plugging in there are various packages that uh, do this. They'll prevent you from plugging in things like USB flash drives and stuff like that because they don't want you right. taking data off of whatever machine it belongs on.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Cool. I'm I'm curious. Uh, if we we have and we have some thoughts from the chat room. Andy saying uh, suggesting LastPass for Teams, uh, which may be a good implementation or a good uh, solution for uh, for what you folks are doing. Maybe instead of one password. Um, I don't know how One Password's team support is, but uh, but we'll we'll put that in the show notes and uh, and you can check it out. But uh, if anybody else has any thoughts or things like that, make sure to send them into us. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the uh, is the place to start. We like that. Really?
1: I don't know. I think we got a problem with the audio here because yeah, uh, I, I I thought you said feedback. At MacGeekab.com.
0: No, 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 man. I'm sorry. Yeah, it must be a problem. It's feedback at MacGeekGab.com, unless you're a premium listener, like James is, and then you can email us at premium at MacGeekGab.com. And we very much appreciate your support. If you want to learn more about it, go to MacGeekGab.com. All right, let's move on to uh so we've done one acronym. We did BYOD. Uh we also talked about RAM, so that's another acronym. Uh I guess I guess that's an abbreviation. BYOD is not an acronym because we don't say the we don't say it as a word. Right. Um, You're going to have to check on that definition for me, John. Uh, But we're going to talk about another one because Tor is the concept that Mark is bringing us into. Premium listener Mark, as it was, he says, I was wondering what your opinion is of the Onion browsers on iPhone. I see there are several different versions, manufacturers, developers, and I'm not sure which to download. Any help would be appreciated. So yeah, so Tor, uh, the onion router, I believe is is what uh what Tor stands for. And uh. and it is used there's 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 many reasons to use it, but it is sort of the when when people talk about the dark net, uh it's often uh used <sharp inhale> No, That's right. We're not, supposed, we're not supposed it. to talk about it. Oh, the first rule of the darknet is don't talk about the darknet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Tor allows you to access sites that are not available on the public internet. And the way that it works is you don't have to know you don't know the location of the server you're connecting to, and the server you're connecting to doesn't know your location. And the way this is done is through a series of layers, which is why they call it the onion router. And, uh, and so you get this, uh, you connect to an entry node, the entry node connects to at least one other node, that node connects to an exit node. And then the exit node connects to the server that you're going to. So nobody has a direct connection to each other. And, uh, and this traffic is always routing different ways. So it's very, very difficult, if not impossible to, it's not impossible, but, but it's very, very difficult to trace back. Um, you'd have to, to trace back one direction or another. The, uh, the easiest way that it can be traced is to the, uh, to the server if you control the exit nodes. Because you can enter the system wherever you want, watch for specific stuff in traffic, and then maybe you can find the location of the server. That said, it's far more secure uh, and far more—I don't want to say secure—far more private than uh, what we experience on the public internet. All that said, this is, as as my brief description might infer, very, very dependent on all the pieces not being compromised. And so there are constant updates to the TOR protocol. Uh, and protocol is probably the wrong word, but the TOR software, uh, it's often based on, on fire. In fact, in fact, I believe it's, Um, well, the, the, the sort of baked in implementations are often based on Firefox. Uh, there's sometimes issues with Firefox that need to be patched security issues like there are with any browser. And then the same with sort of the Tor underpinning layer that too needs to be, um, um, you know, patched and and kept up to date and it is kept up to date. So the thing is, You need to be using software that is kept up to date. And um, and so there's two Tor browsers on iOS that I've used for a long time. I preferred one called Red Browser. Uh, It's last their updates went dormant for a while and then sort of came back around. But the last update was in May. I don't know that that's, you know, frequent enough for me. I, I'm not doing anything on tour that, that, you know, makes me cringe. So it, 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 I'm okay. Kind of using that anytime I, I need to access something that, that might only be available there. There's some, you know, whatever. Um, So that's, that's one option is red browser. Recently though, I found another one called the Tor powered onion web browser. Yep, that's right. Tor powered onion web browser. And that one uh seems to be more regularly updated um for for, you know, uh, for whatever that's worth. I don't know, John. Whatever Whatever you're going to do with it. Uh, I, and that's the other thing is if you really are worried about security and pri- and mostly privacy, I think iOS is the wrong solution anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would highly recommend using uh, something called Tails, which is available at uh, tails.boum.org. Tails allows tails is a self-contained environment. So it's got its own operating system. It's everything. And, and that way you can be certain that no vector has been compromised because you're using this package thing. Unless of course you feel like tails has been compromised in which case you're kind of screwed. Um, But uh, tails is updated regularly. You would typically run it from a USB stick. You would boot your machine with it. There are ways to do this. It's not the simplest thing to do on a Mac, uh, you could run it inside of a virtual machine. Again, you know, the, the privacy purists will say, well, yeah, but then if your VM is compromised, it doesn't matter. So, uh, but, you know, you can pick your, your layer of security there. But uh, any thoughts on this, John?
1: Keep in mind that if someone sees you using something like this, um, depending on what your local oppressive corporate or political regime Maybe, well, one, you could just, you know, remove yourself from that environment, then you don't have to encrypt your stuff. But if people see you using a product like this, it may tip them off that you're up to no good. So right. keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> just right. like a lot of people said, oh, why do you need to encrypt your email or PGP and stuff like that? And, you know, one thing was like, well, you must have something to hide. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Depends on who you're working for. But, it depends. Um, yeah.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, it's um it's an interesting thing. It's uh, and you know, and there's there's I've actually got uh, an attorney recently who suggested to me, he said, Yeah, I keep an account on SIGAINT, uh SIGAint.org, S-I-G-A-I-N-T.org. And that is a um it's a it's a Tor-based email system. And so you really uh, need Tor to to access it, but you can email in and out. Uh, to normal non-Tor, uh, non Onion addresses, and you know, it's it's just it's interesting. This this kind of was just kind of how it works. But if you want privacy, uh, security is is not really the 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 term that I would use. But privacy, or or even better anonymity, uh, which is sort of the best form of privacy, then then that's what that's what Tor tends to provide. And uh, you know. It is what it is. That's how it works. But yeah, be careful. I, you know, there's there's some argument. There's, there's been lots of discussion about whether or not iOS is secure for for Tor. the 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 downside is that you really can't totally sandbox something on iOS because if JavaScript starts running, it might expose the actual IP address of the device. Um, you know, there, there there's some there's some walls that you simply cannot put in place on, on iOS. The flip side is most the the walls that you can put in place are sort of put in place automatically. So unless your app gets compromised by the developer, then you can be pretty certain that, you know, you're, you don't have any third party thing running on your iPhone. That's going to be able to poke in and, and manipulate what's going on with this, with this browser. So, uh, it, it, it's it's secure anonymous to a point. And then beyond that point, it, you know, if you visit the wrong website, it could force your iOS device to expose things. The good news is the browser manufacturers, uh, le- the, at least the ones that I, we've talked about here, red browser and Tor powered onion browser um, are, are aware of this. And they, by default t- sort of turn off all of the things like JavaScript that could be used to expose your, you know, actual IP. And then that can, uh, you know, you might, depending on the, the site you're visiting, you might be forced to turn those on to get some certain resources or what have you, but you can decide that on a site by site basis. So there you go. That's all I got, John moving right along. Shall we? To Andrew. Yeah. Let's go to Andrew here. You ready? Andrew's got a good one. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: so do we all right hi dave and john i recently installed two samsung evo 850 ssds into a mac mini server mid 2010 i have the following questions number one do i need to use a trim enable for each of these drives and i'll just answer them one by one here um the thing is yes you probably will have to enable it um Last I checked, and I actually just verified this, but non-Apple SSDs are ones that you install, unless they're an Apple one, uh, will not have trim enabled. Right. Now, how do you know if trim's enabled? Well, you can go to about this Mac, system report, and then look at the interface that the drive is connected to. So in, in my case here on this one machine, and actually I, I, I got a little surprise, Dave. So I click on hardware, SATA, and then it shows my drive. And uh, I got this recently. It's a gift, uh, it's a crucial whatever. But then I just look down the list of uh, attributes for the drive and it says trim support. No, I haven't enabled trim on this machine. I didn't enable trim for whatever oh, okay. silly reason. Yeah. How do you do that? You may ask. Well, what you do is you go to the uh, terminal and you uh, type in the following uh, trim force. I think you got to pseudo that. So I think I say pseudo trim force and then I believe it's on. And that enables trim for yep. that drive. So that's how you uh that's how you do that. Second question, I seem to be unable to create a recovery partition. Did I miss something during the installation of Mac OS 10.12? I thought that in new installations to a blank hard drive, the recovery partition was automatically created. And uh yeah, that's what I thought too.
0: <laughs> yeah. But it, not, it's not it's not always.
1: That's right. Yeah. Um two ways to deal with this i've seen in the past though i didn't find it there are some or there were depending on the version here not for the latest but for some past versions they had a tool that would kind of fix your recovery or or recreate it for you right uh and that was part of their software updates uh second thing is you could try to reinstall the os again though i don't know if doing the same thing is going to give you different result um what I found very handy, and this is one of the differentiators of our uh, PAL carbon copy cloner, is that they have a feature that will clone a recovery partition from one drive to another. Mm. So, yeah, I think I had to do that once. I'm not sure. I think the same thing happened. A fresh install should create a recovery partition. It didn't. And I used carbon copy cloner to bring it over.
0: And, yeah. that uh, does it CCC's well. good CCC is good at doing that. They've, they've yeah, that's good. That's good. Cool. And then the
1: third question, I think I have the answer. After replacing the two internal hard drives and restarting, the fans started to spin at maximum speed. I controlled this by installing Mac Fan Control and that squelched the fans to 1800 RPM. Um I bet you I know what happened there, Dave. I'm almost certain what happened because I've replaced hard drives ins- inside of a mini many times. And the thing is the hard drive or drives, I don't know if they have two sensors in the in the server machine because it has two bays, but sure. uh, there's a temperature sensor that is attached to the side of the drive that measures, I guess, the case temperature. Right. Um, and then that goes to a teeny weeny, itty bitty little connector on the motherboard. And you may not have either seated it properly or maybe you forgot to plug it in. Because uh, clearly one of the what will happen is that if you don't connect the temperature sensor, one thing that could happen is that it detects that whatever sh- whatever sensor is there is at maximum maximum temperature and it sounds like that's exactly what it's doing here it's like oh my gosh you're running hot i'm gonna crank up those fans so sure. w- while what you did solve the problem i i'm not comfortable that the machine's in a state where one of the sensors is not hooked up properly and uh that if it does need to cool down because you're locking at 1800 you may destroy your machine so i would go back in there and just double check that temperature sensor. Yeah. That's the yeah. only thing I can think of. There, yeah, there's that makes sense. no other yeah. there's no other reason that after you replace the hard drive it would all of a sudden crank up or none that I can think of. Uh I mean you could have damaged the motherboard. I I doubt that since the machine seems to be working.
0: Sure. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Yeah, but it it, it you could have pulled loose or or the sensor could have gotten damaged itself. Yeah. Yeah, if you actually it
1: would be interesting is if you have uh istat menus uh is the first thing that comes to mind. They do have a section that shows the temperature of all the temperature sensor, and there, there's tons of them. Yeah, even in the mini. So uh, I, I'd be curious. I bet you, if you look, you're going to see one that
0: says the temperature is some crazy value. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's one way to find out, right? I mean, what do I see here? So I'm looking on my mini. There's one, two, three,
1: four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fifteen. I don't know, 16, 17, two for the hard drive. Actually, I see one for my internal and one for, is that the external one? Oh, I guess it is. Isn't that clever?
0: All right. (laughs) Cool. All right. I want to, uh, I want to take a minute and talk about our sponsors, John. That worked for you? Excellent. Awesome. Uh, the first sponsor I want to mention is Eero. You've heard us talk a lot about Eero on the show recently, and that's not only because they've been a sponsor for a while but because they make our current favorite mesh wireless system uh they They were the first to really to get this to market and uh and it shows in the maturity of not only the product but their their software. In many homes the single router model just doesn't work anymore. You need multiple access points either to get coverage to all the corners of your house or simply to serve all of the devices that you have simultaneously. Mesh makes sense, right? We've we've talked about it, we did a whole deep dive about it. And you can do this with extenders, but that's not really mesh and it's it's more mess, right? With mesh the network is aware of not only all of your devices, but all of its access points too. So it can really intelligently decide who should connect where and it gets to be part of that decision process. On top of that, Eero's app, which is available for iOS or Android, is what you use to manage your network. And it's really simple, but can do lots of things. You need to do port forward and create, no problem. You need to do uh, reservations for computers. No problem. It works great. You can even do updates remotely earlier this morning. I remote updated my dad's network without him even knowing, uh, because he wasn't home. And so he didn't see that it went down for like three minutes while it rebooted. Very, very cool stuff. But by managing it from the cloud, this allows them to add new features all the time. And they do got to check this out. So visit Eero.com and, uh, and there's two things I need to make sure you do. Right now, between December 18th and December 24th, you can save a hundred bucks off of a three pack of Euros, which is really what you probably want to start with. So that that's a great savings. And then, using coupon code MGG, you get free overnight shipping. So you're going to go uh, to Euro.com. You automatically, as long as you're doing it between the 18th and the 24th of December. You're going to get that hundred bucks off on the three pack. And then during checkout, choose overnight shipping and then enter promo code M G G to make it free. Enjoy your Eero. You can get it right away. And uh, I think you're going to be really happy with it. I certainly have been. John certainly is. It's uh, they've done a nice job with this. So check it out. Eero.com coupon code MGG. After you select overnight shipping, our thanks to Eero for sponsoring this episode. And for doing what they do. Our next sponsor, Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com. Otherworld Computing is the first place I go when I need to get something that's going to extend the way my Mac does things or even troubleshoot stuff with my Mac. They, 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 they got all, they've got it all. And they've even got videos to show you how to do it. You want to put a new SSD in your machine. Great. No problem. Go get the SSD from them, but then also watch the video and they'll show you how to put it in the exact model of machine that you have. They've got videos. They've got how to documents. It's fantastic. You need Ram, same kind of thing. You need, uh, you know, uh, an extender to, to, a, to a, um, a external hard drive case or just a unit to put external hard drives in like their are Voyagers and that kind of stuff. It's all right there. They make all this stuff themselves. They know what they're doing. Uh, they test this stuff in-house. They understand these products in and out. So if in fact you have a problem, they're going to be able to help you. If you need help deciding what to get, give them a call because, as I said, they understand these products. You got it. If you are a new MacBook Pro user uh, with the uh, the 2016 MacBook Pro, you're going to need a dock. Their Thunderbolt 3 dock, which is really Thunderbolt 3 over USB-C, because that's how we deal with it these days. Uh, Looks to be stellar. I use one of their Thunderbolt 2 docks on my Retina iMac, and it's killer. I love this thing. So their dock has uh, five USB 3.1 Gen 1 ports. It's got a FireWire 800 port. It's got gigabit Ethernet. It's got mini display port out so that you can go USB 3 to your display at your desk. It's got dual uh, USB C slash Thunderbolt three ports so that you can uh, daisy chain things down the down the line, and it's even got an SPDIF port for pro grade digital audio. It's got an SD card reader on the front. One of the USB ports is on the front, and it's got audio in and out on the front as well. Really, really cool stuff, and you got to check it out. Our thanks to Otherworld Computing at MaxSales dot for sponsoring this episode and barebones Software. We love the people at Barebones because they make software that doesn't suck. It still doesn't suck. They've been doing this literally for decades. That's longer than TMO has been around. And we've been around a long time. You got to check out BB Edit. I know I get crazy about this, and it's a text editor. And some people say, Dave, it's okay. It's just a text editor. Well, that's because you haven't used it, maybe, because it's more than just a text editor. It is my favorite place to go to do anything with text. I'm using it to process the show notes for this show. Uh it lets you really do anything. I mean I, I had to compare two two documents the other day. I just put the text right into uh two separate windows in BB edit. I told it compare the two frontmost documents. It brings us up this beautiful thing, shows me what lines are different, makes it really, really simple. I I I I I I can't say enough about PBedit. edit. It literally is an app that I use all day, every day. It's always open on whatever Mac I am using and not just for coding stuff. It just, it, it's easy to find stuff. It's easy to do find and replace. You can do multi-file find and replace. So if you've got a folder full of stuff, let's say you've got uh, you know, it's, it's about to be a new year. Let's say you've got a folder full of uh full of text documents Uh, Or maybe it's the code on your website and you've got the little, you know, copyright 2016 down at the bottom. Well, soon you got to change that. BB edit will do that for you. Open up that folder. Tell it find 2016 replace with 2017. It'll go through all the documents. You can either have it commit the changes right away or show them to you. So for you to commit and then boom, you're good to go. You got to check it out. BB edit at barebones.com. Our sincere thanks to Barebones for sponsoring this episode. John, you going to take us to Harvey? I'm going to take us to Harvey. So Harvey
1: writes and says, well, no, he writes. He didn't say. That's what okay. I'm saying. I recently set up a one terabyte SSD drive to replace my mid-2012 MacBook Pro's internal 75 gig. Oh, how sad. <laughs> Hard drive. <laughs> how do I get this new drive to continue backing up on time machine from where the old drive left off, rather than think that the SSD is a new drive to back up. Uh, I think the age old problem. That's the, that's the question. Well, yep. it's not really a problem anymore. All right. So use carbon copy cloner to make a clone. Um, the SSD drive is named something different. Okay. Um, Harvey, the good news is that it just kind of happens, man. How do I know this? Well, one, because I've done this in the past. So if you're making a clone, and you point to the time machine that you used before the first time it sees it, it, it didn't used to be smart enough to do this. It used to be just like, Oh, it's brand new. But uh, a couple of versions of OS 10 or Mac OS ago, they put in the feature that kind of anticipated what would happen. It's like, okay, if I see the time machine backup and it looks like the person just replaced the drive, uh, I'm going to offer to uh, inherit it and that's exactly it's going to say something very similar to That it's going to say hey i've seen this before would you like me to uh to use the backup that you already have in place and if you say yes it resynchronizes uh last i did this it's not going to be dumb enough to recopy the entire contents that that's another thing that used to happen in the past it'll just do it so hopefully you have to do they have an article and it'll show you the
0: dialogue that you're going to see sure yeah and that's assuming that it's going to work, John. What? I, the time machine is going to work. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't find I, my, my lack of faith in time machine. Uh, Apple it's might just, find disturbing. Yes.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Here. Um, yeah, they don't show the dialogue, but they do have an article that uh, talks about the situations where yeah. it'll inherit it. Yeah. So it should um, if it doesn't, then, you know, hey, it, it, it never hurts to start making a new time machine backup because you're going to have to do that anyways. Right. <laughs> right.
0: That's right. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, John, I want to I want to jump a little bit here and have a discussion about MacBook Pros and batteries in general. Uh, there's actually been a great discussion in our Facebook group uh, about this that listener Larry started up. But, um, you know, for a long time, we've been saying, uh, you have to keep the electrons flowing in your batteries. Right. And by that, we mean, wow, frog in the throat. throat) We'll see where that goes, John. Um, Have some water. Yeah, I won't. Uh, By that, we mean either have it charging up or have it depleting its charge, but not sitting at a hundred percent and where this comes from is all the evidence that we unfortunately personally have collected over the years and that you have sent in over the years and that we've seen pretty much everywhere that computers that are sat on charge for weeks or months on end tend to have very diminished total battery capacity after a short period of time. And then when I say short period, maybe not that short six months to a year, um, is what it takes. Leaving your your computer charged all the time, you know, for a day or two sitting at your desk, that's fine. But if that becomes your habit and it's never really depleting the battery, then you're going to wind up with a problem. Um, and I think you've experienced that, too. Right, John? I actually way, way
1: back, I actually had some of my batteries Uh, replaced under Apple care yeah, because the Mac started saying, I think it was service battery. Right. When it, when it detects that it's below a certain threshold after so many charges, it'll warn you about that. And um, well, of course you don't have replaceable batteries anymore. So that's not an issue. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, it used to be in that. Yeah. I, I actually had some replaced because I was exhibiting poor charging practices.
0: Yeah. Now here's the interesting thing smartphones run on the same type of batteries in general. I mean, battery tech is, is sort of where it is for everyone. And we hope to see it uh, continue to evolve, but, but you know, smartphones and, and computers are are effectively using the same type of battery. And there's been a lot of advice recently that says, Oh, don't worry about it. Just plug your smartphone in whenever you can. You're not going to hurt it by, by keeping it, you know, charged at a hundred. And, and that's, true only because I can't imagine a scenario where you would leave your smartphone plugged in for weeks at a time, right? Where it's either plugged in and you're using it or it's asleep and it's plugged in, right? But this is what happens with your laptop or can happen if you just leave your laptop at your desk. So this advice for smartphones has been, uh misinterpreted as oh battery tech has changed and so I can just leave my computer plugged in all the time and that's not true uh the problem the and then and then the additional rub is with computers based on USB-C, right? Which includes the MacBook and the MacBook Pro, uh the new, the 2016 MacBook Pro, you have a problem. Because why? In order to leave your external devices plugged in, you must therefore have it on power or at least oftentimes will have it on power because power passes across all those ports. So if you wind up with something like, a you know, a USB-C dock or a Thunderbolt 3 dock like we just talked about, or even just an external Thunderbolt 3 uh, hard drive or USB-C hard drive, it really doesn't uh, matter what the, the transmission protocol is. Oftentimes that's going to pass power to your device and that's what it will charge it. So it makes it impossible to be on uh, connected to all your devices, your, you know, your gigabit ethernet, your external hard drives, your external display and not charging the computer. Now, Apple's doing some things in software. And and I know that uh, many of you with MacBook pros, the 2016 MacBook pros report seeing the computer saying that it's, you know, discharging for a little bit and then it'll go back on charge. Maybe that's enough. We don't know. We don't have enough experience with this yet. So I, I, I just caution everyone to really keep an eye on your battery, uh, your max, you know, your, your, uh what, what do we call it? The ma- maximum battery capacity. I, I can't think of the the name that, that we would call it, but that's it. And, uh, and and be very careful about leaving your laptop or any battery operated computer or device plugged in full time for weeks on end. For a day or two, no big deal. Weeks on end, I still think you're going to run into problems. What do you think, John?
1: That's been my experience. Although, like you said, some people say, "Yeah, don't worry about it." <clears throat> uh, in my experience with my various MacBook Pros. Um, yeah, I don't leave it plugged in all the time, and uh, when I used to, uh, it hurt. It, it looked to have hurt the battery. Maybe things have gotten better. I don't know because technically the battery in mine here is replaceable, Dave. I mean, it's not a removable battery, but you know, I pop the cover off the bottom, and uh, as far as I know, I can still get one. You know, it's rectangular; it's not you know crazy shape yet. Right? I started doing that too. I, I think any Mac beyond the one that I have, or at least MacBook, uh, the battery isn't really something that the user can service, right?
0: No, I mean, I I guess, you know, anybody can service anything, but, but it's not certainly not built for the user to service. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. And I, and I don't know the magic answer here. It, it certainly like what would be great. So, so there's this utility that, uh, that we love partially because it was, it was created to solve this problem that we talked about here on this show. It's called fruit juice, and Fruit Juice m- monitors your battery uh, usage and power usage, and reminds you to take it off charge and put it back on charge. And when you've had enough of the charging time per day and not charging time per day, like active usage, so and and that's you can run that on your MacBook Pro, and it will work fine. I know many of you are running that, but of course it telling you, all right, now's the time to take it off charge. And that also coming along with, and now's the time when you disconnect from gigabit ethernet and or disconnect your external hard drive, those things might not be so easy to to do. It would be great. if, And I'm not, I, you know, it's always sad when Apple Sherlock someone, but in this instance, it would be great if Apple kind of took that paradigm and you put it, baked it into the OS so that it, would actually turn off the charging for those times and, and, uh, and make it work. So, uh, and maybe Apple's doing something like that. Let's hope they are. Let's hope that's what we're seeing here. We just, you know, we haven't gotten any word out of them one way or another. And, uh, and this is an important thing. I don't want to see you folks burning up your batteries or, you know, reducing your batteries. So, all right. What do you think, John,
1: Time to. uh... I think I like Fruit Juice because if nothing else, uh, you you can read. So if you go to the power section of System Info, you can see information on your battery, including the number of charge cycles, the maximum current, all that stuff. But Fruit Juice presents it in a nice, it does nice way, and that it's right there. So I'm looking at mine: 88 percent of original capacity after
0: 1385 of 1,000 charges. I see. That's good because you're using your battery. You're, you know, you've got more than, than the recommended charges and you're still well above 80%, which is sort of the, you know, the benchmark. Absolutely. Another utility I like a lot is coconut battery uh, from coconut-flavor.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. Of course, uh, coconut battery will give you lots of this information. It doesn't help you it doesn't provide you any advice on, on managing your battery, but it will provide you all kinds of information about your battery. And if you plug your iPhone or iPad in via USB, it will also give you information about your iPhone's battery and its capacity as compared to the maximum and the design capacity and all of that stuff. So uh coconut battery is a good one to have around just to, uh, just for peace of mind, and I think it's available for free still, so no reason not to have it. You 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 turn me onto that, John. So I like it. It's good. Yeah, good. Coconut, coconuts. All right. Um, we had we mentioned in show six thirty four, we mentioned uh VPNs and talked about how great it would be if there was some VPN service that could automatically connect when you were on an unknown wifi network, but not connect when you're at home and you don't need it where you, you're at a trusted network. Well, turns out we're not the first ones to have that idea. The folks at cloak not only had this idea, but implemented it. And thank you to many, many of you on, uh, on Twitter and, and email and, and, you know, messenger bird that told us all about this because you're absolutely right. Um, cloak does this and they have a whitelist of uh network names and you just say nope on this one i don't need you to auto connect and it won't but otherwise it will and so there you go that's that's cloak at, uh, i believe get com, right yeah so there you go you use cloak right john or you have in the past
1: i i did in the early days yeah
0: yeah yeah cool 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 Crazy stuff. That's how it works. All right. Um, and then also in show six thirty four, we were talking about podcast bookmarks with uh, with our app where you can uh, you just toggle between you. You would if you wanted to leave a bookmark right here. What you do if you were playing in the app in the Mac Geekab app is you would just pause the show and then immediately. Resume the show. And as long as you re- resume within three seconds, it drives, it drops a bookmark. And the cool part about that is if you're listening in the car, you can just, you can do it with your car system, whatever you want. You know, it it just, it just works. Well, uh, Sean had, uh, had something to say about that. And Sean wrote us and said, uh, both iOS and macOS have a feature, and I believe it uses Apple's handoff technology where you can invoke Siri to ask it to remind you about whatever is on screen, provided that application supports handoff. So while I'm listening to Mac Geek Gab using Overcast and I want to refer back to something later, I just invoke Siri and say, remind me about this when I get home or at a specific time. Then when the reminder pops up, I tap on the link and it will take me into either Overcast on iOS or on the Mac. It will take me to Safari and play the podcast episode from that point. Yeah, Overcast is good. If your show doesn't have uh, chapters, it still will let you drop sort of these anchors or bookmarks. So um, and, he, and, and Sean says this works in other apps, too. For example, uh, if you're reading an email and mail that you want to be reminded about later, invoke Siri and say, remind me about this when I get home and it'll handle it. So, very simple stuff. That's that's a good tip. I like it. Along the lines of podcast bookmarks, also Dan says, uh, "I've loved and used Downcast for years, but it's become a battery hog in the past year." Have you looked at iCatcher? Because iCatcher is a podcast app that allows bookmarks. Uh, it allows you to bookmark in any podcast by tapping the tag icon. You can then type a description or leave it blank. And you can use the bookmark icon later to see all the bookmarks for that episode and jump right to them. And you can email them out to yourself. I find it very useful when I listen to a book club podcast or yours. I can bookmark the book or tip and go back and find it later. So there you go. Catcher is another app that will do exactly this. Very cool stuff. It's um, I like it. It's good. What do you think, John? You don't listen to podcasts, do you? You just you just do them on TV, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that Pretty much, is. okay. All uh, along the lines of Siri. Now that we're kind of bouncing around here, Andrew says different, Andrew. There we are. I recently came across a convenient Siri command when eating lunch at work. I hated having to hold my phone and flick through my notifications, especially since it meant I couldn't eat and listen to notifications at the same time. So one day on a fluke, I invoked Siri, read my notifications and, and said, uh, Siri, read my notifications as my iPhone sat on the desk and voila, Siri came on and told me who I had notifications from and whether or not I wanted her to read them, and asked whether or not I wanted her to read them to me. I said yes, and she proceeded to read each of the notifications grouped by app which generated it. I could hold my sandwich with both hands and would just say yes over time as she asked if I wanted her to read more. So it's simply "read my notifications" is the command. Very very cool stuff. Pretty good, right? Good stuff, John. I don't talk to Siri that much. No, I talk to Alexa more. Yes, yeah, same. Yeah. Alexa uh, does what I want for the most part. (laughs) Well, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, there's, um, I think it's Astral, right? Oh, what's the name of the app? I've got it on my phone. Astra. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. We posted an article about it yesterday. It's a 99 cent app for your iPhone that lets you invoke, uh, not just invoke, but talk to your kind of Alexa mesh, if you will. And you can do it remotely, which is, Awesome. And, and it's great. If you happen not to have a, an echo based unit in the room that you're in, you just fire up this app on your phone, hold down. There's a little microphone on the screen and, uh, and away it goes. It does its thing. It's great. Yeah. I love it. It, it works. You just authenticate it to your, uh, to your Amazon account and you're, you're good. Golden. Yeah. Fun, fun stuff, John. Fun, fun stuff. I gotta put that in the show notes, don't I? So uh why don't you take us to uh I mean we had again it was it was a tip from many, but uh we were talking about uh remote access to your Synology system. And and you had mentioned that you were doing this, and lots of listeners have mentioned they were doing this. You wanna you wanna lead that discussion here, John? Uh
1: yeah, I guess uh,
0: Robert. Uh, I'll
1: go through Roberts, because it's okay, a, that's a fine. more general question here. Yep. But, um, all right. Here's the question. How do you remotely access files located only on your NAS? Would you create a personal VPN to gain access? I've had this experience with the company server where I work, and I use the Cisco VPN to access, slowly, <laughs> the files I need from a remote location. Is a VPN provided with the Drobo or the Synology, or is there something in the Mac OS or is this a third-party program? Never fully understood how this worked. The answer is yes. <laughs>
0: so, yeah, no. explain uh, in the case
1: of in the case of the Synology. So, uh, there's uh, fortunately there's a lot of options uh, for accessing your stuff remotely. One thing that I really like about the Synology, and I believe is is fairly unique to their platform, is they have something called Quick Connect. Uh, you register for an account, you get a quick connect ID and then they do some magic dance with relay servers and, and, and yeah, other, other network gymnastics. The result being is that you can type a URL into a browser, no matter where you are, and you can access your Synology. Um,
0: yeah, it's now, sort of a, like it's the sort implementa- of a a, uh, a an enhanced uh, dynamic DNS service where you, your your Synology yes. has a name and, and and if you have multiple Synology units at your whatever at, at, at one location, you give each of them a different Quick Connect name and then you can connect to that particular unit. But this is only in your web browser, right? You don't have the ability to say mount this in the Finder via QuickConnect, right? Well, that's where this, and I'm glad you brought that up because you, you,
1: we were, or I was scratching my head over there. So I think we both were, yeah. uh, we wanted to give the right information to people. And, and sure. a lot of people have the desire to, so if you do this through the browser, you get the access to the DSM interface, just like you, which is a, a desktop in and of itself. It's just a right. different one. It's not your Mac desktop. And you can certainly get to your files from there. There's nothing Absolutely. stopping you. Yeah, and. Uh, On iOS, you can actually use just your Quick Connect ID and run this thing they have called DS File, and that'll bring you right in. Yeah. Um, And and
0: for the record, and I know we're jumping all over, but DS File can be used as a data source for just about any app. It, It exposes itself just like Dropbox does or anything like that. So if you need to save something and you're exporting it out of an app... DS file is almost always going to be in that list, along with you know Dropbox and mm-hmm. and, and Amazon Drive and Google Drive and all that stuff. So
1: now, yeah. if you want to mount the server from the Finder, yeah, then you really need to implement a VPN, or at least that's one solution. Okay. And I actually did this just for fun. I was out and about doing various vehicle related things sure. about town. And so I had some time to experiment or I could just do it at home and connect to optimum wifi hey, from to simulate. Yeah. Cause the thing was, I'm like, Oh wow, this is easy. And I'm like, Oh wait, I'm on my own network. Duh. Yeah. So <laughs> if I, so I had to connect to another network and then then what you do is you'll VPN in. So either through iOS or, or the Mac, there's a open V there, are open VPN clients. So what I had to do in that case, Dave, once I VPN into my network, so this is totally different from quick connect. Right. If I VPNed into my uh, network and then went to the finder and tried to mount a a network share, then it would do it because I knew the IP address and I was essentially the the VPN makes me part of my own network. And I have fixed IP addresses on them. So so that's a, a way you can do it through the finder, but it requires you to implement a VPN. Now the thing is Synology fortunately has one. Uh, they can implement, uh, they implement right. the three major standards, PPTP, OpenVPN, or L2TP
0: slash IPsec. Only the last one you- of those is supported by iOS 10 and Sierra, by the way, directly. Um, right. Yeah. Otherwise, you need know, a third party. I use open
1: VPN. So, uh, so to answer your question, at least for Synology, the, they include both their own, proprietary method of doing things which is very clever or they include a vpn server in which case you need a vpn client to get to it and then of course uh you know create a port forward rule which actually yeah i mean we're trying not to bounce around too much here i mean the good news dave is that if you're VPNing into your system that's a good way to get to your system so i just had to create one rule on on the euro i just said okay it's a I forget it's port 16 something, but uh, open VPN it, yeah. uses a particular UDP port. Yep. Um, and you got to create that. Um, Synology's BitConnect connect kind of does this for you, but behind the scenes, otherwise you'll, you'll have to create a rule within um, what you don't want to do. I think, and this is what I think somebody wrote and said they did. And I think this is, this is the non-optimal solution is to actually open a port directly to your
0: networking, you know, like AFP or SMB that I uncomfortable doing. I, I don't, I don't like that either. And, uh, you know, this listener had a, I mean, they were aware of the security risks. And so they said, look, you know, I'm just pointing port 548, which is Apple file protocol towards my Synology. Uh, I've got a very secure password on my account and, uh, you know, and I've got, and Synology will let you do this. It has kind of its own firewall where, If it notices a hacking attempt, you can set it to say, oh, if somebody has, you know, five bad, uh, bad logins in X number of minutes, block them either forever or for 24 hours or for a week or or whatever. But uh, but I feel like, you know, there's so there's too many moving parts to just leave that particular door wide open. Um, I don't know. It just it feels like here's the big problem. It's it's a common attack vector. And and this listener even noted, uh, he said, "Yeah, I installed, you know, the I, or I enabled the firewall protection, and every day I'm getting like three or four notifications that it's blocking people. It's like, yeah, these are just random people. They aren't targeting you. They're just targeting everyone and checking to see does it do they have mm-hmm. that port open, and now they attack it. And here's where the problem is: if there is ever a security hole, it found." in the implementation of, of Apple file protocol or uh, SMB something messaging, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but if there's, if there's an attack vector there that they get to before Synology patches it, or before you install the Synology patch, you're done. They're in. So I, I, that's why I don't like that solution, but a VPN could work. It would be, I'm trying to think if, if there, would, how difficult it would be to do a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a Finder integration from Synology standpoint. I, if you sync your data using Cloud Station, then that all works. It would be great to have an extension to Cloud Station that said, yeah, I don't want to sync my data. I don't want all that stuff here, but I want to access it from the Finder just like I'm at home. That would, I mean, it's certainly doable. We we saw a Transporter do it. Um, so, mm-hmm. because, the, because the problem with doing it over a VPN is, is network overhead, right? You're still transferring... Lots and lots of things back and forth icons and, and all of that stuff. So it can, it can still be a little laggy depending on the speed of your internet connection. So.
1: Wow. Oh yeah. Like, like, like was said, you know, I can right. access, uh, using Cisco VPN, which I've used in the past, albeit slowly because you're limited by your internet connection speed. Real, versus is your hopefully faster, uh, corporate network.
0: Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Andy in the chat room says, uh, doesn't cloud station have an upload only option on the Mac in settings? I've got cloud station here. I don't recall seeing that, um, but maybe, I mean, it, well, it does, but, but I think it's, um, it's, I don't know how you would see the files that you're not downloading. So I'd have to, I'd have to look at that, but maybe, maybe there is something here. Maybe there is something here. I'm meeting with the synology folks at ces anyway so hopefully we'll uh you know i'll bring this up cuz i think it would be a cool thing and they seem pretty uh pretty hip to to doing that stuff john take us to thomas it's time to do a little bit of ranting i think thomas
1: <clears throat> i didn't know this thank you thomas have we, you we don't know to... either so you, you might want to tell us john uh well thomas writes in and says asks have you gone to https colon slash slash support profile dot apple dot com lately and the answer is no so i went there and this is when it struck fear in my heart dave so i went to this location all of a sudden it said uh yeah we're gonna redirect you somewhere else and i'm like oh no (laughs) which basically means they they upgraded their implementation it used to have a list as Thomas points out of all your products registered with Apple with serial numbers, whether they are under warranty, Apple care, it was great resource. And I think a lot of you have used it. I used it. Now it redirects you to a page that appears to show only products recently used with your iCloud account and not much else. And I confirmed that I can't see all I can see is the, the products that I have registered with iCloud, Dave, I have some products, you know, like some, uh, some iPods.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That don't I talk that's to iCloud. To it.
1: Yeah. And some older, like I still have my G5. <laughs> it's actually still in the database. Sure. Though so I'm not using it as a computer, but, um, but yeah, some of my uh, non iCloud devices, uh, I can't get any information on anymore anymore. And I used to. So I,
0: so I, I agree with the fish shake. Why, why did they break? What wasn't broken? I haven't, I think I have an answer for it. I mean, I, but I'm happy to let you rant onward if, if there's more you need to get off your chest before I, before I offer a, No,
1: it's about it. At, at first, yeah.
0: at first look, the new interface gives me less information. It's certainly harder to get information out of it. You've got to kind of keep digging and, and almost open a support case to, to get to the point where you can kind of see your warranty status and all of that. Yeah, it's, it's not great, but... It, uh, I think it's because Apple released that new Apple support app for iOS and they wanted to homogenize the experience, right? So you can launch this Apple support app. You can download it from the app store and, and launch it. And then you get to get to see, you know, this kind of stuff, the same site sort of thing. And you can even choose to repair things and, you know, go through all of that. And, uh, and there it will be. So I I think that's what it is, is they wanted to to make it so that regardless of whether you're doing it on the web or on their iOS app, you have this consistent type of experience. I'm not saying I'm not I'm just you asked the question. So I'm just offering a reasoned response. I'm not I'm not I'm no more happy about this than you are. I liked I liked that that my support profile, except it was weird because if you wound up buying a device for someone else or, you know, it was it was kind of a weird thing to you'd wind you could wind up with with more devices there than you were actually using. And it feels like this new system is, we're just going to talk about the things that are attached to your iCloud account. And maybe that keeps it more, more straight for people. I don't know. Like you said, it, it omits some devices and that's not good. It's not good, but you know, there you go. Scott's Mm -hmm. got a comment for us, John. And I always love Scott's comments because, uh, well, because he's Scott.
2: Hey, John and Dave. Well, actually, this one is really towards Dave, who was having a problem with the phantom, uh, like Logan Airport coming back up on his Wi-Fi. This is a, a redux of it. I was having, just having a similar situation with a Wi-Fi password, um, that was coming back again, uh, as a contractor, you know, I go from building to building, and one of the things that happened was, I ended up in a building next door to one I had previously used. And every time I would walk in the my iPhone would attach to the old Wi-Fi. And I'm looking for a way to stop that. And of course I did, you know, forget this uh, forget this connection and it would keep coming back up. Then I did something very, very interesting. I opened up keychain access on the Mac. I went through every section, every keychain, and found every instance of that particular uh, password. Not only was it in systems, it was in iCloud, it was in login, and all I did was go through and systematically delete them all. Figured, okay, let's give that a try. Earlier today, I went back to the client, walked in, Looked down at my iPhone, and sure enough, I was not connected to the old network. Oh, and since I have everything connecting to uh, through iCloud and and sharing the iCloud keychain with the Mac, I guess my Mac is, is the master for it. Once I deleted it on the Mac yesterday and went back today, it was all gone and all fixed. So, if that's your, if that could be an issue for you, maybe this would help. And this way, you won't get caught. <laughs> Thank
0: you very kindly, know. Scott. Yeah, so the issue, though, is I have no doubt that this works, in fact, uh, unless it's an unsecured Wi-Fi network. And then you would not have a keychain entry for it because... There is no password, so it goes back to it just being in the Wi-Fi network list in in your uh, in your system preferences network, and that's one of those things where it's sort of all over the map because it doesn't sync. It, you can delete it from one spot, and it seems to come back from the cloud too often. But uh, but for for networks that have a password, it's great, and maybe that would be the way to get rid of it. Right, add a password. I don't know if you how you could do that. I don't know. Maybe there's something here, John. Anyway, in uh in show 635, we were talking about all kinds of secure email. Proton mail was one that we discussed. And uh and in fact Andy helped us did help us test it, and it worked great. Uh I would get a message in our mailbox that said you've received a, a secure email. Click here, and if you know the password, Uh, You can then you can then read this email in uh, in your web browser. Listener Joe uh, suggested a different service called Virtu, V-I-R-T-U. And Virtu actually did an interesting thing. It uh, instead of requiring a password, it made me authenticate with my email address so that it was basically saying we need to prove that you have this address. And I was able to log in, you know, or with a Google account thing and, and authenticate my email address that way. There were a couple of other ways to do it. And uh, and then and and, and it, sorry, it's not Virtu, it's virtue V-I-R-T-R-U dot com. And uh, and once I did that, it actually decrypted it in my browser. So it's it's stored encrypted at rest on their servers and then it, it decrypts in the browser. You can see it. Attachments were there. Very, very cool stuff. So, um, so ProtonMail, Virtue, uh, very interesting ways and, and, um, interesting solutions for sending, uh, secure email in, uh, in today's world. So cool stuff. I I really appreciate uh, you folks helping us test this out. Fun, fun stuff. We did our gift guide stuff last week, John, and now we have some gift guides from you folks. So I'm first going to go Andy actually kind of really hit the hit the jackpot on this one. He has uh, he has four things to recommend, I believe. The first one is the Mpow Buckler Wireless Waterproof Shower Speaker Bluetooth with built in speakerphone for shower or outdoor activities. That's what it's called on Amazon's page because People like to uh, make sure they they get their their all their keywords in on their Amazon searches. But as Andy says, this little waterproof speaker is super handy and sounds a lot better than you might think. Uh, they regularly go on sale for about $15.99 right now. Amazon is showing it for $21.99. Uh, so thank you for that, Andy. It's uh, always, always good. We like we like fun stuff. And then uh, next on his list, he says a little bit more of a splurge, but the Synology DS419J uh, at 289 on Amazon, which he sent us a link to as well. Uh, he says, I just got the simple model and I run Plex on my Mac mini instead of on the NAS. I already had three, four terabyte drives as well. So, um, yeah. And, you, you know, the, the important thing to note when you're picking Uh, Synology is uh, and we'll find their website where you can look at um, what Naz's Plex and their their own video station will run on. You want to make sure if that's something you want to do, that it's supported on that particular model, because otherwise you get into trouble. But, uh, you know, it's good. Next on Andy's list is... uh, the I believe they I'm looking here. Yeah, the Plantronics Backbeat Fit wireless headphones for 77 bucks. He says, if you are an outside runner or biker, these are a great headphone setup. They give you some sound quality uh, since they're open, but that makes it so much more safer. Uh, they give up some sound quality because they're open. They're not sealed in your ear, but that makes it so much safer as you can still hear everything around you. And uh, and they're Bluetooth they have uh, shuttle controls like a uh, not shuttle, but play pause controls on, uh, on one of the ears and I think volume on the other too. So, um, uh, I, I've got to say, I've been impressed with the plantronics stuff. Uh, their, their earphones, I use one of their headsets. Uh, they, they really, they've, they've done a good job with, uh, with kind of making things that work and sound decent. So that's, you know, that's the key. Uh, and then lastly on Andy's list is, where are we here? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, he found something It's called the Sabrent uh, USB three dual bay external hard drive docking station. And there's lots of things like this out on the market. This one's 35 bucks. I think OWC makes one too, uh, that I've used, but it's very cool to, it's the way, the way this unit is, is it just sits on your desk, uh, or on a tabletop. It doesn't have to be a desk. And, uh, and then you drop a drive or two into it and you can power them up independently and they mount independently. So it's basically two external hard drive cases without the case all in one for 35 bucks. Makes it really easy. If you need to access stuff on a drive or clone between two drives, uh, if you're doing any kind of troubleshooting regularly, this sort of thing can be really, really handy. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes and I'll, I'll put a link to the OWC one there too, that I've used because, um, uh, because they they both work uh, or at least Andy has that has the Sabrent one and I've got the OWC one so good stuff and devin suggests something that I, you know I'd love this when you folks have these ideas devin says uh i've been a user of alfred for many years the software utility you probably know about their powerpack paid add-on but maybe you don't I bought this a few years ago and I didn't get much value from it and ended up switching to the version of Alfred in the App Store to make it the list of apps to install from one easier when I was starting a new machine. It says anyway, I was in search of a replacement clipboard manager and stumbled back onto Alfred. I rebought the power pack for version 3, and I was very impressed with all the improvements they've made. None of the major improvements have been delivered in the version through the App Store, so it may be a good idea to point out all the other options that are available. Uh, highlights of the new power pack I've been using include super simple and effective clipboard manager, iTunes manager and search workflow. It's pretty, pretty, powerful because there's an online community behind it. One password integration, better search settings and a remote. He says, I don't have use for it, but it certainly looks cool. So thanks for that. That's, um, I, you know, I always, I always forget about these, uh, these things, even though I use Alfred all the time. So good stuff, huh? Mr. Braun. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Fun. I've got some more headphones to talk about, but we'll save that we'll save that for after uh after Christmas, maybe when you're buying something for yourself. So fun. Oh, you know, you gotta you gotta save something, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I think, John. And I think really what I think is uh that it's time because I think we've done we've done all that we can do, my friend. Oh out the band. It's, it's yeah, no kidding. It's cold in the studio today. It's like it's uh, the heat's been on for a couple hours and uh, it's barely up to like sixty three. Hmm. Well, we when we designed the studio, we didn't really do, go nuts with heat. We should have we should have put more baseboard in here than we did. and uh, and on days like this, I, you know, I'm aware of that decision. So,
1: yeah, I'll just get a space heater. I could. Yeah, I've thought about that. It's would, not like they've caused disasters ever.
0: No, right? no. I, I want to get one with like kerosene and uh, and just leave ah. it loosely around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good splash factor there. Good right. splash factor. That's right. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. We told you how to email us. You can also call us 224 888 Geek John, which is four three three five indeed and you can find us on Facebook we mentioned in fact we talked about the battery discussion was was triggered by a Facebook uh, post in our great Facebook community you can find that at com slash Facebook we would love to see you there that community grows every day and uh, and it really is full of, of great folks that not only are asking questions and uh, but everybody's happy to help nobody's judgmental it's it's um, It's really, it warms the cockles of my heart, John It's a great community So thank you all for that Thank you to our premium listeners uh, In this show Those were uh, Thomas Robert uh, Andrew Harvey uh, Another Andrew, which I think were two different Andrews this week Uh, Mark James and Andy in uh, In the chat room too uh, a new premium listener as or a resumed premium listener as of today. So very cool. Check it all out. MacGeekGab.com slash premium or just MacGeekGab.com. Either way, you'll you'll find your way there. Our thanks also to Cashfly Hosting at Cashfly.com, where they provide all the bandwidth to get the shows from us to you. Of course, thanks to our sponsors, Eero at Eero.com, where you can save that 100 bucks as long as you do it. In this week here, Uh, you can uh, use coupon code MGG to uh, get your free overnight shipping, of course. Barebones software at barebones.com, the makers of the fine BB edit. Otherworld computing, which I think we've mentioned more times in this show perhaps than any other. And not just because they were a sponsor, but because they make some great products at macsales.com. The folks at uh, Fat Cat Software at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG with power photos. Smile Software at Smile or Smile at SmileSoftware.com slash Geek. And Casper at Casper.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks on a mattress. We won't talk to you. We will talk to you on Christmas Day. That's when the next show comes out. So for those of you that celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. For those of you that don't, have a happy Sunday. And for all of you have a happy week. John, do you have anything else to add? If you're going to be up to no good, especially this
1: time of year, Dave, then you're going to want to use something like Tor or encryption or a VPN because your primary goal so you don't get coal in your stocking is to not get caught. Merry
0: Christmas, John. Merry
2: Christmas.